Hello everyone and welcome to the October 17th edition of the WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with the Floyd Scarron Law Firm. Thanks for joining us today. So let's get started with our crime report. Fresno trucking business owners face $2.5 million of payroll fraud charges. Karmjit Nijar and his wife, Ranjinder Kaur Nijar, who own and operate Renteria Trucking, and their daughter, Mandip Ninjar, who was their employee, were arraigned on four felony counts each for their involvement in a workers' compensation insurance fraud scheme after allegedly underreporting over $2.5 million in employee payroll to illegally reduce their workers' compensation insurance premiums. A task force investigation into Renteria Trucking revealed the company reported about $2.5 million in employee payroll during their routine payroll audits. However, a forensic audit revealed that Renteria Trucking actually had over $5 million in employee payroll for the same period. The amount of underreported payroll totaled about $2.6 million. The misrepresentations resulted in nearly $353,000 in premium owed to the state compensation insurance fund. The three pleaded not guilty to the charges and are expected back in court on November 15, 2022. The Fresno County District Attorney's Office is prosecuting this case. And a Tustin's doctor whose prescriptions were linked to a driver who killed an off-duty Costa Mesa fire captain and the suspected gunman in the mass shooting at the Borderline Bar and Grill in Thousand Oaks pleaded guilty to conspiracy to distribute controlled substances after being accused of illegally prescribing more than 120,000 opioid pills over a six-year time span. Dr. Zhang An Pham of Tustin pleaded guilty to one count of conspiracy to distribute controlled substances, a crime that carries a statutory maximum sentence of 20 years in prison. Pham owned Irvine Village Urgent Care and conspired with Jennifer Taeyoan Nguyen of Irvine to illegally distribute controlled substances. Nguyen is a licensed pharmacist who operates the Irvine-based Bristol Pharmacy and has also agreed to plead guilty to one count of conspiracy to distribute controlled substances. She is scheduled to enter her guilty plea to the felony charges on October 14. Dr. Pham admitted he illegally wrote prescriptions for about 54,000 oxycodone pills, about 69,000 hydrocodone pills, and about 29,000 pills of amphetamine salts. These prescriptions were filled using 18 different patient names. Dr. Pham admitted he acted with the intent to distribute the drugs outside the course of professional practice and without a legitimate medical purpose. On four occasions, Pham wrote prescriptions for a total of 704 pills of 30 milligram oxycodone for a patient identified in court papers as S.C., whom the doctor knew was a drug addict. And Pham wrote prescriptions in the name of S.C.'s wife, who was not his patient, never saw him for any medical appointment, 
and was not aware that Dr. Pham was issuing a prescription in her name for her husband's use. Pham knew that many pharmacies would not fill his prescriptions because they did not have a legitimate medical purpose, so he directed his patient to Nguyen's pharmacy. Nguyen accepted payments from Pham's patient and gave Pham payments for his patient's office visits, even though she knew these patients did not have a legitimate office visit with Dr. Pham. She also admitted that she filled Pham written prescriptions for a total of about 160 pills of oxycodone, about 1,800 pills of hydrocodone, and about 450 pills of amphetamine salts. In November 2018, Stephen Taylor Scarpa struck and killed veteran Costa Mesa Fire Captain Mike Kreza while Kreza was biking on Alicia Parkway in Mission Viejo. Pham is scheduled for a January 6, 2013 sentencing hearing and faces up to 20 years in prison. And in regulatory news, a tree trimmer who fell into a wood chipper in the Menlo Park area, a city of 72,000 about 35 miles south of San Francisco, resulted in his tragic death. Cal OSHA is investigating the cause of this industrial accident, but will not release their findings until the investigation is concluded. So it is not known at this time if there were safety violations behind this event. Menlo Park police officers responded to the 900 block of Peggy Lane in Menlo Park following a report of a tree trimmer who fell into the wood chipper. When police units arrived, a male subject had died from his injuries sustained from the accidents. Menlo Park Fire Protection District and the San Mateo County Coroner's Office also responded. The man was later identified as 47-year-old Jesus Contreras Benitez, who resided in Redwood City. He was an employee of a division of F.A. Bartlett Tree Expert Company. Bartlett Tree Experts was founded back in 1907 by Francis A. Bartlett, and it claims on its website to be a leading scientific tree and shrub care company that has over 100 offices worldwide. Co-workers declined to talk about the victim. Tree care operations involve climbing trees, using portable ladders, working at heights while using hand and portable power tools, working near energized overhead or down power lines, feeding chippers, and other hazardous operations. Tree work accidents can result in severe traumatic injuries and deaths. The most commonly reported causes include falls, electrical shock, being struck by fallen objects, and chainsaw lacerations. Most are preventable through hazard recognition, hazard control, effective employee training, and the use of appropriate personal protective equipment. Chippers can be very dangerous devices that have caused serious injuries such as cuts, amputations, crush injuries, and, as in this case, death. To advance safety in the workplace, employees must ensure that employees read and understand the manufacturer's instruction manual and must provide effective training.
employees must be made aware of the hazards involved in chipping and must always follow safe work practices and procedures. The Division of Industrial Relations, Department of Occupational Health, publishes a Tree Work Safety Guide, which dedicates several pages pages to safety suggestions for the operation of a wood chipper by tree trimmers. The WCIRB has released its COVID-19 in California Workers' Compensation 2022 update. As the economy has reopened and following the Omicron surge, COVID-19 claims continue to be a modest share of all indemnity claims. The winter surge from the Omicron variant peaked in January 2022, but by February, COVID-19 claims dropped significantly. And in recent months, COVID-19 claims have been about 5% of reported indemnity claims. Throughout the pandemic, the healthcare sector has had by far the highest proportion of indemnity claims involving COVID-19. Public administration, which includes some first responders, also had a high proportion of COVID-19 claims. And manufacturing had the second highest share of claims until late 2021. With the economy growing at the end of 2021 and into 2022, more COVID claims were reported in the accommodation and food services and retail sectors than in manufacturing. More than one-half of COVID claims were incurred by workers aged between 16 and 39, and almost 80% of COVID death claims were incurred by workers aged 50 years or older. More than 40% of COVID claims are indemnity claims with no medical losses incurred, compared to less than 1% of non-COVID claims. And most indemnity-only COVID claims are relatively small and closed quickly. Almost all 2021 indemnity-only claims have an incurred value of less than $5,000. The share of COVID claims over half a million dollars is almost five times as high as for non-COVID indemnity claims. Denial rates on COVID claims have been higher than on non-COVID claims, and many claims are denied due to a lack of a positive test result for infection. Virtually all COVID indemnity-only claims close quickly, as they typically involve only short durations of TD, with nearly all claims closed by by 18 months. E-form filing is offered by the California Division of Workers' Compensation, as a means to accelerate the process of filing by submitting certain court forms and attachments online. Its electric adjudication management system, known as EAMS, is a computer-based case management system that simplified and improved the Division of Workers' Compensation case management process. The DWC has just advised EAMS users that as of October 31st, 2022, any e-filer account that has been inactive for six months or longer will be deactivated as part of an ongoing review and reconciliation of existing accounts. 
An account is considered inactive if no one has used the assigned login to access Eames for a minimum of six months. If the assigned login has been used at least once to access Eames within a six-month period, the account is considered active. This means that if a, if a user has not logged into their Eames account since April 30, 2022, and does not do so prior to 5 o'clock p.m. on October 31st, the account will be deactivated and disabled. And the user will not be able to log into Eames unless the account is reactivated. So to reactivate a deactivated account, the primary administrator on the account must review the latest version of the eForm agreement on the eForm filer's webpage. Then, submit a completed copy of the Eames eForm agreement spreadsheet to eForms at dir.ca.gov with account reactivation in the subject line, and they will be notified when the account is ready for use. The reconciliation of e-filer accounts will be ongoing and will take place about every six months from now on. And in employment law, the U.S. Department of Labor announced a proposed new rule on workers' classification by employers. Following the passage of AB5, California adopted the liberal ABC test to determine if a worker is an independent contractor or an employee. Companies must use a three-pronged test to prove workers are independent contractors rather than employees. But for companies with workers outside of California, and perhaps remote workers, employers need to review the law of the state where the employee works, or, in some cases, federal law. And the classification analysis might now become more complex under proposed rulemaking just announced by the Department of Labor to help employers and workers determine whether a worker is, is, is an employee or an independent contractor under the Fair Labor's Standard Act. The proposed rule would provide guidance on a classifying worker and seeking seeks to combat employee misclassification. The notice proposes a framework more consistent with long-standing judicial precedent on which employers have relied to classify workers as employees or independent contractors under the Fair Labor's Standards Act. The department believes the new rule would preserve essential worker rights and provide consistency for regulated entities. Specifically, the proposed rule would align the department's approach with courts, FLSA interpretation, and the economic reality test, and restore the multi-factor totality of the circumstances analysis to determine whether a worker is an employee or an independent contractor under the FLSA. And it would revert to the long-standing interpretation of the economic reality factors. These factors include the investment, control, and opportunity for profit or loss factors, the integral factor, which considers whether the work is integral to the employer's business, is also included. Additionally, the proposal will rescind the 2021 Independent Contractor Rule. 
The department's wage and hour division will now solicit comments on their proposed rule from interested parties and encourages all stakeholders to participate in the regulatory process. Comments, which must be submitted from October 13th to November 28th, should be submitted online or in writing. And federal regulators also published a blueprint to guide employers' use of AI technology. AI generally refers to the development of computer systems and algorithms to perform tasks historically requiring human intelligence. One form or type of AI is machine learning, which refers to the process by which machines use large sets of data to make better and better predictions. And some forms of AI can be used to automate certain aspects of decision-making. The new blueprint for an AI Bill of Rights was published by the White House Office of Science and Technology Policy in this October. The policy has identified five principles that should guide the design, use, and deployment of automated systems to protect the American public in the age of artificial intelligence. People should be protected from unsafe or ineffective systems, should not face discrimination by algorithms and systems, which should be used and designed in an equitable way. People should be protected from abusive data practices by way of built-in protections, and should have agency over how data about them is used. And they should know that an automated system is being used and understand how and why it contributes to outcomes that impact them. People further should be able to opt out where appropriate and have access to a person who can quickly consider and remedy problems they encounter. This new framework is accompanied by a technical companion, a handbook for anyone seeking to incorporate these protections into policy and practice, including detailed steps toward actualizing these principles in the technological design process. The blueprint for an AI Bill of Rights is non-binding and does not constitute U.S. government policy. Nonetheless, the White House separately announced that several federal agencies will be taking action to advance the guidelines in the blueprint. And several states have also adopted similar regulations, and the California FEHC has published draft modifications to its employment anti-discrimination laws that would impose liability on companies for third-party agencies administering artificial intelligence tools that have a discriminatory impact. And in medical news, an article in the New York Times says several insurers have exploited Medicare for billions of dollars. Medicare Advantage, a private sector alternative to traditional Medicare, was designed by Congress two decades ago to encourage health insurers to find innovative ways to provide better care at a lower cost. By next year, more than half of Medicare recipients will be in a private plan. But a New York Times review of dozens of fraud lawsuits, inspector general audits, and investigations by watchdogs 
shows how major healthcare insurers exploited the program to inflate their profits by billions of dollars. The government pays Medicare Advantage insurers a set amount for each person who enrolls with higher rates for sicker patients. And according to the lawsuits, the insurers have developed elaborate systems to make their patients appear as sick as possible, often without providing additional treatment. As a result, a program devised to help lower health care spending has instead become substantially more costly than the traditional government program it was meant to improve. According to federal audits, eight of the ten biggest Medicare Advantage insurers, representing more than two-thirds of the market, have submitted inflated bills. And four of the five largest players, United Health, Humana, Evalence, and Kaiser, have faced federal lawsuits alleging that efforts to overdiagnose their customers crossed the line into fraud. The fifth company, CVS Health, which owns Aetna, told investors its practices were being investigated by the Department of Justice. The New York Times says that health systems Kaiser Permanente called doctors in during lunch and after work and urged them to add additional illnesses to the medical records of patients they hadn't seen in weeks. Doctors who found enough new diagnoses could earn bottles of champagne or a bonus in their paycheck. Anthem, a large insurer now called Evelyn's Health, paid more to doctors who said their patients were sicker. And executives at United Health Group, the country's largest insurer, told their workers to mine old medical records for more illnesses, and when they could not find enough, sent them back to try again. Each of these strategies, which were described by the Justice Department in lawsuits against the companies, led to diagnoses of serious diseases that might never have existed. But the diagnoses had a lucrative side effect. They let the insurers collect more money from the federal government's Medicare Advantage program. And last year, the Justice Department's Civil Division listed Medicare Advantage as one of its top areas of fraud recovery. In statements, most of the insurers disputed the allegations with the lawsuits and said the federal audits were flawed. They said their aim in documenting more conditions was to improve care by accurately describing their patient's health. So that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. And we also publish our daily news, podcast, and other utilities on our free WorkCompApps.com smartphone app. Again, I'm Renee Vols with Floyd Scarin, Manukian Langevin. Thanks for joining us today. Please drop by again next week for more news.